welcome to the No Relation NFL Podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. Matt, you vacationed last week. You're feeling good as we get into this last push before the draft. Yeah, you know, some beach time with the fam was absolutely needed. Recharge the batteries here a little bit. I've been pretty much going heavy since training camp opened. You know, and I didn't really take a whole lot of breaks with pumping out articles and podcasts and all those good things. So, yeah, it's great. And now I'm just really anxious. I'm, I'm ready for next Thursday to get here. Have you always been a big draft guy? Always? Have you always enjoyed it? I mean, I'm talking like being a kid. It's been – we call it Christmas morning since I was about six years old. It's my favorite day of the year since I was a little, little kid. I mean, I've, I've gotten Mel Kuyper's draft guide – Oh, 30 years in a row, 35 years in a row. So used to study it back and forth, everything I could possibly get my hands on. I remember I snuck a transistor radio into science class, and when the Steelers took Rod Woodson, I started screaming in the back of the room, you know, like how they, I couldn't believe he fell that far. Um, yes, to say that I've liked the draft for a long time is maybe the biggest understatement of all time. So you remember when it was a Tuesday and they did 12 rounds, all that day. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and for the most part, it didn't always. It didn't always even fall on a weekend. It wasn't as big a deal. So, like when we had school, my mom was always like, "Yeah, you got a fever, go to school." But the draft, I could stay home. I mean, it was. She knew it was that important to me. It was my favorite day of the year, and basically still is. Yeah, I always. My mom always allowed me to take the draft day off too. And you know what? I mean, I think that's just. It's who we are, and that's why we're doing this stuff as a business. This, this has been our passion for life, and, it, and the draft this is always a special day for me. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a huge reason. Well, we're both very fortunate. I mean, it's not like work is a grind for us. It's something we've loved for a long time, and we've pushed hard to get to where we are to talk about it and get paid for it and make a living doing it. Um, but, you know, I never thought that would have been the case when I was a kid. And, you know, I just did it because I absolutely loved it. It was my favorite thing, um, it basically, as soon as the season ended. Yep, yep. Well, next week we're going to do a mock draft, kind of a live mock draft for everybody. Um, so that will be a good time. This week there's still some football to talk to. And you being in, in Pittsburgh, this is a very, very sad day in Pittsburgh. They laid Dan Rooney to rest. What has it been like? What's been the uh, the feeling there in the last few days? I mean, it's almost like a, a presidential royal loss, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he is certainly, Dan Rooney was certainly NFL royalty as well as Pittsburgh royalty. I mean, everyone knows the popularity of the Steelers. Uh, his dad is an obvious icon and started the team and through all the bad times. And then Mr. Rooney, I mean, he's Mr. Rooney. He's not Dan Rooney to anyone that's ever really been in that facility or close to the team in any way, shape, or form. Uh, took things to another level. And, I mean, even politics and things around here he got involved with. And immense power and had a phenomenal ability to talk to both sides of a bargaining table or to relate to players, um, help with political issues in Pittsburgh that had nothing to do with football, I mean, he was the ambassador to Ireland. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. no joke. Right, yeah. And, and all the way of being just a regular guy at heart, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've had very few interactions with him. I mean, I've seen him at the facility many times. 
I, I never bothered him or anything to, to that extent, but everyone that knew him had a story of how he had helped them at some point in their career. I use the Tony Dungy one a lot. You know, when they, and I think they drafted Dungy in like 1980 or so, Chuck Knoll right after the Super Bowl years, and Mr. Rooney kind of pulled him aside early in his football career and said, you know, son, you're not all that great at the game, but boy, you're going to be a good coach someday. Yeah, yeah. My my favorite story is I think Charlie Backstone, somebody from NFL Network tweeted it last week. He asked him, why do you sit in the back row of the plane? And he says, well, I don't have to play tomorrow. You do. So your comfort's more important than mine. And would you ever see, not to make, just for example, not to make fun of him, but would you see Jerry Jones smashed up in the back row of the plane? You know, that's a different guy. Absolutely. And never wanted to be at the forefront and, put the players first, and, you know, uh, even going back to those 70s Steelers, he was instrumental with those teams as well. He was much younger, obviously, but even those 70s Steeler teams, you know, people remember the Rooney Rule and the hiring of Coach Tomlin and, and implementing, you know, uh, African Americans to get better jobs in the league. And But even going back to those 70s Steelers, Donnie Schell, Mel Blunt, Stallworth. These guys were small school, historically black schools that people didn't recruit at the time or didn't, you know, watch even what you watch their film at the time. And the Steelers were littered with phenomenal football players from those smaller schools that are historically black. Um, and they obviously had tremendous success with those as well. And those Super Bowl teams, I think there was only one guy of prominence who didn't come from two-parent families. You know, divorce wasn't as big back then, but, um, you know, those type of things were all heavily, heavily influenced from Dan Rooney on those teams. Yeah, no, interesting. And did he, excuse me, he played a big role in the drafting of Ben Roethlisberger, too, didn't he? I don't know that for sure, to be very honest with you. I, I think so, but I don't know that for sure. Right. But he wasn't... He wasn't a meddling owner by any stretch. I mean, he he was he let his football people make the football decisions by and large. Well, Bill, I mean, the best way to even exemplify that is in my lifetime, I've seen three head coaches here. You know, I'm 43 right. years old. <laughs> you know, and a lot of Super Bowl trophies, three head coaches. One of them's in the Hall of Fame. The other two might get consideration someday. Since I've been following the team and knew anything about the team, I've seen two GMs. I mean, Tom Donahoe, Kevin Colbert, and I've got a chance to know both of them reasonably well. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing, too. There's only, everyone talks about the coaches, but there's only been two, GM, two guys making you know, decisions in the last, what, 30 years or so? Um, and then there was a stretch here that my lifetime, I only saw three centers. I mean, it was Mike Webster to Dermonte Dawson to Jeff Hardings, and now Pouncey with a couple guys flowing in between. I mean, like, some of the stability that obviously reflects on the Rooney family and mostly Dan Rooney, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, think about three coaches in 48 years. The Oakland Raiders have had ten coaches this century. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, the stability is just unheard of. Right. And, and like I said, there's other areas where you can see it even more than the head coaching situation and shows that if you make a good hire and you trust yourself to hire the right person 
and you stick with it and you have that stability, I mean, w- what an amazing advantage that is. And, you know, people probably even don't know the name Dick Hoke, but he was the running back coach here for like 60 years. And Dick LeBeau was here for a million years. And, I mean, Joe Green's walking around the facility and Carnell Lake's a coach and Joey Porter and, um, you know, those guys have had a lot of success in this league, to say the least, as players and now coaches and you know, there's still a Joe Green influence, and that all comes back to Mr. Rooney. Yeah, and it just shows you it, it, it doesn't have to be that hard. You know, just make smart decisions and get out of the way, right? Especially when things are good. You know, I mean, um, don't flirt. Just because you have a bad year, it's not time to blow it up. Or, you know, I mean, trust yourself to make the proper evaluations with hirings. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, again, thanks for that insight from Pittsburgh on that subject. Let's get to some more football stuff. Um, we hear talk about the 49ers maybe taking Solomon Thomas. I saw you tweeted, you know, a lot of people, because I'm, I'm in Northern California, a lot of people want the 49ers to take Thomas, the Stanford guy, but does he fit for what they do? And, I mean, is that taken away from Armstead and, and, and Buckner? Along those lines, I wonder if the Niners are somehow putting out a smokescreen that the that the the Browns somehow want Trubisky. You know, not that it's going to matter. I mean, I think the, my point is, I think San Francisco is a little bit in no man's land too. That I think they want someone to come up and say, "Boy, we want Trubisky or one of these guys," so they can trade back because they have so many needs. Right. I don't think there's a fit there that is worth the second spot. There, there's not, you know, obviously a, a franchise quarterback would be ideal, or if they could somehow get Miles Garrett, that would be ideal. But I think, and, and I did a mock draft just yesterday on the Locked On Network that I do, where what I would do if I were the GM, not what I'm hearing or what I think is going to happen, is what would my pick be? And I came to the conclusion that if I were in charge of the 49ers, I would use every 50, every second of my 15 minutes hoping to trade down, and then inevitably when Miles Garrett was gone, I would take Solomon Thomas and with the thought of he's my Michael Bennett. You know, is he ever going to be as good as Michael Bennett? Probably not. I mean, Bennett's an unbelievable player. He's a top 10 defensive player. But it would be he would be that role in what is going to be a Seattle-like defense. And in some ways – you know, Armstead and Buckner, who this staff didn't draft, would play similar techniques on the defensive line. You know, they'd line them up in similar spots inside on throwing downs. But I don't think that precludes you from taking Thomas. Not that I love him, not that I think that he's a franchise-changing player. I think he's good. Um, But he's much more Michael Bennett than those two are. And those two, to me, are somewhat, you know, square pegs and round holes. I mean, I wonder if one of them possibly gets dealt on Thursday or Friday um, to a team that runs more 3-4. But, again, I I don't like where San Francisco is sitting at all. I mean, I I think ideally you do everything possible to move back. Buckner had a pretty good year, didn't he? Yes, and I thought Armstead played pretty well, too, in stretches before getting hurt. Uh, I thought he got better as a pass rusher. I like Buckner better as a player, certainly like him better um, as draft prospects coming into the league. Uh, I mean, I think they have value. I just don't think the scheme is ideal for them, especially to have two of those guys. And if you do add Thomas, 
I'm not sure how you keep all three of those guys on the field consistently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, like you said, I think the Pointers want to trade down. Uh, you know, John Lynch, last week he met with the media and he said, I'm open for business. And John Lynch is just so honest of a guy. And, you know, I've known him a long time and he's honest as a player, honest as a, uh, as a commentator. I think he may struggle with, he may be too honest in this role because. You're not really supposed to be honest when you're a general manager. So, <laughs> right, good point. You know what I mean? So I found that to be very interesting. Uh, but he got his point across, and, and, and we'll see. I think they would love to get down to, like, 12. Trade with, uh, trade with Cleveland, get, you know, go from 2 to 12, get more picks, maybe take a McCaffrey. I think that's what they would love to do, you know? And then and then grab some defensive players, I, I you know? And then maybe maybe draft trade up to get go ahead of Houston, go ahead of uh, Kansas City. I think Oakland is a pivot point at 24. Maybe the 49ers go get a quarterback at 24 and trade up to 33 and, and use some of that package they get from the number two pick. So I think the 49ers are going to be a, a real fascinating team to watch in the draft. I 100% agree. I just don't know that anybody's going to trade up to two. I mean, I guess what you said makes some sense. If if the Browns absolutely do adore Trubisky and Garrett is the best guy on the table, in the draft, which we all agree on, you take Garrett and then you start working the phones to move from 12 up and you got a million second-round picks to do it, that's the one team I guess I could buy would move up to go get a quarterback. But personally, I don't think Trubisky's that good. You know, I mean, I wouldn't do that. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm right or they're wrong. But um, I guess yeah, I, I just don't know who's would be interested in two if it's not the Browns. So you don't think Trubisky's that good? Let's say let's say you're the general manager of the Jets and you got your number six, and all the quarterbacks are on the board. Are you taking the quarterback? And if yes, who? Mahomes is my favorite quarterback in this draft, but I would not take him if I'm the Jets for a couple reasons. I mean, the Jets to me are a similar situation as the Browns a year ago. But you did draft Hackenberg. I mean, he's a second-round pick, and this staff liked him a lot 365 days ago. It wasn't that long ago. And knew he was a massive project. I think the Jets are the worst organization in the league. I'd rather be in charge of the Niners or the Browns or the Bears or anybody and I think the Jets have to take a very Browns-like approach, and they already have, that, you know, trade back, trade back, do everything you can to accumulate draft picks to get to where the Browns are now, where they have tons of draft equity, and you can totally rebuild this thing. Um, taking a, a quarterback at six for me, if I'm the Jets, though, is a, a bad move. And I think you throw him, I think that eliminates the Hackenberg, you know, investment. I think you throw him in on an awful team and he gets his head beat in. And I know you're not supposed to do this, but next year's supposed to be a phenomenal quarterback draft at the top. There's three guys that everybody's loving. And I don't know much about them, but I know that there's three guys everybody's loving. And I think the Jets are going to compete for being the worst team in the league this year. That I think you try to trade back as much as possible, accumulate as much draft equity as you can, and give Hackenberg at least a year of tape to see where he is and then probably draft for a guy next year. That's how I would handle it. Yeah. Okay, well, let's take specific teams out of the mix. How high do you think Mahomes is worthy of being picked? 
Well, like I said, I'm doing this exercise where I'm the GM of 32 teams, and I didn't take a quarterback in the top 10. You know, there was 10 guys, there was 10 situations I liked better where I would actually pull the trigger on somebody else if it's up to me, if I'm the GM of each one of those specific teams, before I would take a quarterback. But I would think, and I haven't done it yet, that Mahomes would probably fall shortly after, in my opinion. You know, that if I'm the Browns at 12, I might grab him. If I'm Arizona at 13, if I'm – then there's a gap. You know, I mean, the rest of the right. teams aren't in that market. But then the Giants at 23, you know. So I think if the first quarterback gets out of the top 10, the Browns in Arizona are – Certainly, you know, situations. And then other than that, I mean, if those two would pass on them and there's a lot of defensive talent, you may not see a quarterback in the top 20. But we all know that's not how the world works. Right, right. Do you uh, – I know you said before that Mahomes is a guy that's not a fit for everybody. Um, do you think he's a fit for Houston and Bill O'Brien? Yes, however, I mean, when I evaluate quarterbacks, more so than any position, I'm a swing-for-the-fences guy. You know, that if if I miss on a quarterback, so be it. But I don't want to be stuck in Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith purgatory. You know, so that's why I'm not a Trubisky or Watson fan. That's why I do like Mahomes, that I can live with a strikeout if I hit a home run at that position. Um, would he be a fit with the Texans? I guess history shows no. You know, that if you look at O'Brien, he wants a Brady. You know, he's had Hoyers and Shobbs as caretaker types, and obviously Tom Brady's not a caretaker, but he's not Brett Favre either, you know, just stylistically, where Mahomes mm-hmm. is more Stafford, Favre, Aaron Rodgers-like. But... I wonder if Houston would look at this and say, we've tried all these caretaker dudes and it hasn't gotten us anywhere. <laughs> you know, like, let's get right. see, let's swing for the fences here. I mean, to me, that's what they should do. I'm not sure that's O'Brien's approach to the position, though. Right. Oh, it, it, it's interesting. Um, sticking with the draft and quarterbacks, do you think the Chiefs should take a quarterback in 27? Because it certainly looks. Like, they're studying that way. They're talking to every quarterback, and it just seems like that's where they're thinking. I wouldn't condemn them, you know, and there's probably six teams in a similar boat where I wouldn't give them a hard time if they did. You know, I mean, I mentioned Arizona. You and I have talked about how Eli scares the heck out of me going forward. I think Pittsburgh's in that conversation, um, certainly Kansas City is. I mean, everyone out there, I think, knows that I, I can't live with Alex Smith as my starter, and the rest of that team is pretty darn close to being in place. Um, and I also think that his contract might be up after next year. I mean, don't quote me on that. And even the Saints, you know, that if you use the 32nd pick on Kaiser or somebody like that, I totally understand. Even even in a team that can win now with Drew Brees, 
not quite as set as the Chiefs are, and it's a good defensive draft, wouldn't that be taken away a little bit from Drew Brees, a Hall of Famer? He doesn't. Alex Smith doesn't have the cachet that Drew Brees does. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I think you can make the case for Kansas City making taking a quarterback at 27 more than the Saints at 32. Agreed. Or the Steelers at 30. You know, the Steelers and, and Saints would be more on the same par of let's win this thing now and see what happens down the line. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think how I said it was, and even the Giants, the, mm-hmm. that I would understand if they went that way. And the Saints do have an extra first-round pick. You know, if they had a, an edge pass rusher like Barnett or somebody like that in the, with their first pick, and there's a quarterback that they loved at 32, I would understand and I wouldn't condemn it. I don't think that's the way that they're thinking, though. You know, I think Sean Payton is, let's put all of our marbles into in, in right now. Let's win with Drew and the future be damned. How do you think Ben Roethlisberger would react, I don't know, publicly, privately, whatever, if they take a quarterback at number 30 and not a tight end, not a pass rusher? I think he'd have a tantrum. Yeah. I mean, I think he would. I mean, but he created it because he's the one that started talking about retirement. You know, right? But I don't think anybody believes him. No, but (laughs) yeah, but he said it. Yeah, right. I mean, maybe the Steelers could use that as an out and say, Ben. I mean, what choice do you leave us? You're the one talking retirement. Right. I don't think they would, but he would have a fit, wouldn't he? I think so. You know, I, just from people that know him, and I spend no time with him, or nor do I care to one way or another. But uh, I mean, I think he's a a little bit of a drama queen, and he's not a baby. I mean, obviously, what he does for a living is a lot harder than what I do for a living. But I, I do think he loves the attention, and some of those things are true. And he was very mature early in his career, and um, yeah. And honestly, I mean, would Philip Rivers or Eli Manning or Carson Palmer or Drew Brees be thrilled about it either? I mean. Was Tom Brady thrilled when they drafted Garoppolo? Or, you know, the, the Patriots have consistently used second, third-round picks on quarterbacks, and I'm sure Brady would have rather had a blocker, <laughs> you know. Right. Brett Favre in 2005, you know. Wasn't thrilled, uh, sure. I, I think the, the greatest example of that was, and I, you know, a lot of people don't remember this, but the Broncos took Tommy Maddox in the first round. I think it was number 25. Seven years before John Elway retired. Yeah. And I mean, a total wasted pick. And everybody's like, total what wasted the hell pick. Are they had doing? some good years in Pittsburgh, and, you know, and that was it. What was that? Yeah. I had a couple good years in Pittsburgh, but never helped the Broncos at all. Yeah. And seven that's... years before a Hall of Famer retired, you know? I mean, that that's the extreme of it. Yeah, that really is. I mean, it was a long time ago, and people forget that, but yeah, it's a really good example. I don't know, though. Are you with me? And I'm sure none of us like grading drafts the day after they happen. You know, all of us on Monday are going to be asked, give me a grade on the Seahawks draft. But I can't ever condemn a team for drafting a quarterback high. No matter what. Give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, just because they're such a rare commodity that if you firmly believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to turn into a franchise quarterback and you have Brett Favre, so do it. You know, I mean, I just can't ever be critical of a team, even with there's other needs, even if they're a win-now mode. 
that draft what they think is a franchise quarterback? Well, it's the you know it's the power broken position. I mean, Ron Wolf he didn't always do it high, but he basically picked a quarterback every year. Yeah, and not only that, the thing people forget about with Brett Favre's career is he was a second-round pick of the Falcons and was considered a joke down there. And then the Packers didn't give up a second-round pick to get him. They traded a first for him. Yeah. I mean, imagine the, the, how much how criticized they would be today. I mean, that would almost be like the Packers calling the Browns and say, hey, we'll give you a first-round pick for Johnny Manziel after his rookie year. Yeah. Or giving up a first-round pick to the Jets for Hackenberg right now. Right, right. That's even a better example. Right, a second-round pick that did nothing, that everyone thinks is a loser, but we'll give you a first for him, even though you just spent a second for him. Or we'll give you a first for Johnny and next year's first. Yeah. That that was one of the great all-time NFL trades, you know. Right. And, and I would and guarantee if they did it today, they'd be a laughing stock. Yeah, and Favre was almost, you know, Floyd was almost saying, you know, are you sure you want to do this? You know, he, he wasn't expecting it, you know. No, right, right. I mean, and but, then they doubled down and take Rodgers, which was crazy, too. Yeah, yeah. So, and he, you know, Favre at his uh, uh, Hall of Fame basically said, you know, that kind of bonded him and Wolf for life, and it, was, it began two Hall of Fame careers. Right. And there's so many examples yeah. where it doesn't work, and we don't talk about the, you know, the wonderful way it works right. out. But right. Um, but you again, wrote, my, my point is, I can't have a, I can't crush a team for taking a quarterback that they think is a potentially franchise guy. That being said, I wouldn't do it if I was the Jets. You know, I mean, I just said that 20 right. minutes ago. Right. Right. You, you did a story, I think, last week on, on potential high-profile draft names that could be bust that I thought was really interesting. And do you want to kind of name a few of those guys and give reasons why you think they could be bust players? Well, two of them kind of go back to what we were saying. Well, one of them is Deshaun Watson. And I know that he's a really high-profile dude. He just won the national championship, lost the national championship the year before. Some people had only watched you know, college football late in the year and you know, watched him and thought, you know, this guy is the man. And, uh, you know, going into last season, many thought he was the clear number one first overall pick going to be. But my thoughts on him are, and I say this all the time, right? I've used this analogy a lot, and I steal it from Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. They always talk about quarterbacks are either the truck or the trailer. You know, the, if you're an 18-wheeler, you're either the, the engine or you're along for the ride. And trailers are okay. You know, I mean, Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer, they won Super Bowls as trailers. And Alex Smith and Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins have done wonderful things, but they're trailers. And I think Watson is a trailer. And, yes, he runs around, but I don't think he throws the football very well. I don't think he's super talented. I also think Trubisky's a, t- a trailer, where I think Kaiser and Mahomes can be trucks. And my problem with Watson is if you're a trailer, you can't turn the ball over like he does. He has some mm-hmm. bad throws. I mean, 17 interceptions and easily could have had 10 more. 
I, I can't have a trailer that's, you know, a turnover guy. I mean, that was my big problem with Kirk Cousins early in his career. Could he be just be a winner, though? I mean, do you give him points for that? Yes, and I do believe there's an it factor out there. I do believe that there's leadership is not fake and, you know, showing up in big games matters. I mean, I'm not blind to that. But I also think the term winner is sort of a shortcut to analysis, too. You know, that mm-hmm. you got to watch the traits, and do they translate to the NFL? And I worry that his do not, even though he shows up big in the big games. And I get that. But like Greg Cosell says, I mean, eventually it's third and eight, and you got to make a throw. Mm-hmm. And right. yeah, I think team, I think his throws are going to go to the other team too often. Yeah, interesting. You had, you had Mike Williams in there too, didn't you? I did. I mean, I'm, and it's not that I'm a Clemson basher or anything like that, but I think both those players benefited from one another a lot. And if you watch, if you just isolate Watson, or if you just isolate Williams. I don't like him as much as the sum of the parts, so to speak. And my worry with Williams is the guy just never gets separation. I mean, he's a big, powerful player, and that's great, and he's really good in contested situations. But rarely does he separate even at the college level. And the people that like him say, well, so what, because he's so good at the point of attack. But he's not going to be in the ACC anymore, you know, that – I still I think he's a quality player. I just think he's more Alvin Harper than he is Michael Irvin. You know what I mean? I think he's a number two. That if the Bills draft him and put him opposite Watkins, he'll probably have a fine career. But if you draft him thinking, if the Titans draft him thinking he's going to be the foundation receiver of our offense, I think you have a problem. Yeah. So you don't you don't see him having a spectacular career? No, I think he's a number two. Yeah. So maybe not much, quite a bust, but maybe not not as much value as he's going he's gonna to be overdrafted. Probably should be taken in the third round instead of number 10. Right. You know, I, mean, I think he has a second, third round type career, not first or second overall wide receiver drafted career. Right. Right. But not that he's I mean, bad, you know. Right. I mean, that's the thing that I think keeps bringing me back to the draft is that there's going to be busts. There are going to be busts. And if somebody told us, gave us the list of all the busts that are going to be out of this draft, we'd probably say, like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. Sure. And he's like, you don't know who it's going to be. And that's what makes these general managers age so. I, I had an agent tell me the hardest job in this whole deal is being a general manager. That's why they age like president. You know? Absolutely. It's such a tough job. And I forget which draft class it was. It was a Jamarcus Russell draft, I think. And remember Seattle took, it was like the fourth pick, and I I can't remember his name off the top of my head, the linebacker out of Wake Forest that that Seattle took really early. I'm sorry, what's that? Aaron Aaron Curry in 2009. Aaron Curry. And everyone that knew anything about football, myself included, thought, 
if I had to put a chip down on one guy that would not bust, I'll take Adam Curry. I'll take Aaron Curry. You know, this guy's a right. double all day long, maybe more. And all of us said right. that. You know, this is the safest prospect in the draft. He did nothing. Nothing. He went to Oakland, did nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. That was a bad draft. That 2009 draft was a lot like 2013. Not good at all. Terrible. Right. And I think it's. Yeah, well, I Matthew think fans Stafford, can be too critical at times too. Like, are you crushing the Chiefs for taking Eric Fisher, or the Jags for taking Luke Jokel, when everybody was pretty bad back? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a bad draft. I mean, sometimes there's good drafts and bad drafts. This is a good draft, in my opinion. Those are bad drafts. Yeah, it, it's uh, it just kind of it, it's just it's a roulette table out. Some years are going to be good, some years are going to be bad, right? For sure. And in a way, Bill, this one kind of reminds me of the Cam Newton draft, too, and, and, although without the Cam Newton involved, that I could see a lot of Julio, J.J. Watt, Patrick Peterson, um, Tyron Von Smith Miller. types, and the teams that take the quarterbacks might be Christian Ponder and Blaine Gabbert. You made that point two months ago, and I thought it was fascinating. And, I mean, that that was a defense-heavy draft. Von Miller, too, you know. Alden Smith, who yeah. had a chance to be a Hall of Famer, you know, but his personal problems got in the way. You know, there was a lot of great defensive players in that draft. Yeah, I mean, but there was also Tyron Smith and A.J. Green and Julio Jones, Cam Newton. You know, I mean, that, that's an amazing draft. I mean, I don't think that draft – I don't think the top ten are going to be as good as that top ten. You know, Tyron Smith's the best offensive lineman in the league. J.J. Watt's the best defensive player in the league. And two of the best receivers. And I think the best corner in the league. And so we I, might I don't get think five it's that good. Famers out of that draft. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think it's similar in that we might look at the teams that took the quarterbacks at 9, 12, 15, or whatever, and say, wow, there a lot of good guys got drafted around Christian Ponder and Blaine Gabbard. Yeah, because they forced themselves at quarterbacks, and that's what we talked about at the start of this show. Yes. That, you know, they, they forced the quarterback. You know, like I said, if I was in charge of these teams, I would not, I did not take a quarterback in my top ten. But somebody's going to. Yeah. yeah I mean, all that great talent in, in three of the top 12 picks are, are got quarterbacks that were spectacular but. What wasn't yeah. even interesting. They were bust all the way. You know, they never were any good. Yeah. You know, and E.J. Manuel was like that. Yeah. You know, I, I look at Deshaun Watson. I don't think he's going to be E.J. Manuel, but it wouldn't shock me if two years from now we say, boy, I mean, somebody took Deshaun Watson at 10 when there was three great edge rushers that went right after them and corners that are really playing at a high level. And, you know, I just think Watson and then Trubisky have a chance to be those guys. Did you have Taco Charlton on that list as well? I don't like him very much, to be honest with you. I think he's more of a yeah. second-round player. Um, he was on that list. I think it hurts that he's, in my opinion, a pure 4-3 defensive end. He, you know, that if you bump him inside, I don't think he holds up real well against double teams at all, even in sub. Um, kind of a one-year wonder. Again, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be terrible, and if somebody takes him – I, I just don't understand. I don't understand the buzz of him potentially being a top fifteen pick at all. 
Do you think he will be a top? Do you think he'll go? I've seen it. Around? You know, I've seen people saying that. I, I just don't think he. I think he's more of a second round guy to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, this kind of goes off of the bus uh, topic, but you know, I have. I'm doing my mock draft, and I have like eight guys on the bubble. Four, five, six, seven, nine guys on the bubble. So that means. I got 41 guys I'm thinking could be first-round picks. That's a deep class. It's usually one or two guys I have on the outside, you know? Yes, and to peel back the curtain a little bit, generally speaking, most NFL war rooms have 12, 14, 15 first-round picks. You know, that the teams like Green Bay and Pittsburgh usually don't the Patriots usually don't draft first-rounders in the first round, guys with first-round grades. And I think more teams have a higher number this year of true first-round grades where you know, you're doing it for a different exercise where you look at it as right. 40, 50 guys easily could go in the first round. And I do think it's going to be extremely interesting on Friday that we're going to be talking – if we would do a podcast Friday morning, we would be talking about – boy, there's a dozen guys that could go first overall today, you know, that are really exciting. Can't believe they weren't first round pick. Maybe Dalvin Cook or, you know, a lot of different names. But I do think that NFL war rooms are saying, we got 20 this year as opposed to 14 that are true first rounders any year you cut it. You know, since they changed the format and made it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, my funnest part of that three days, is Friday before the draft because I think there's so many interesting and you have a small window, but there's so many different story angles leading up to that start of the second round on Friday afternoon. I think it's it, it's a lot of fun. I agree. I, I think that you know that I assume Cleveland has a 33rd pick, right? Yeah. I mean that that's a really valuable pick nowadays because all these evaluators have spent months and almost a, basically a year figuring out what everything, how everything's going to go down, and then it doesn't go to script, of course. And so you're sitting there and you're picking fifth in the second round or whatever, and you can't believe that this dude didn't go in the first round. And you're going to go crazy to move up with the Browns to try to grab him. You know, like Landon Collins, for example. You know, I mean, and he was a hit. Or Siafulu with uh, Houston. He was not. You know, that... People, right. had for, people clearly had first-round grades on those players and wanted to get to that early pick to grab him because they can't believe he didn't already go. And, and it's, a, it's a great benefit for the teams, too, because used to be, and this is just a couple years ago, first round's over, now it's number 33. Now they have 18 hours to really go back to work and work the trade. You know, that's why it's so valuable to have that 33 pick for Cleveland. Because now you can get trade offers for 18 hours. And everybody resets their draft boards. Yes. So it, it, it's a scramble. It's a lot more fun, and it's a lot more valuable for the team. Or, boy, we didn't see 10 corners going in round one. We thought there'd only be six. We thought we'd, you know, yeah, it's a really deep corner draft, but we thought we'd be able to get one at the end of the second round, and I can't believe that they're falling as quick as they did. Or, wow, I didn't see three tight ends going off the board in the first round. Or, you know, it's, I mean, there's something unexpected that's going to happen. And you know yeah, that no, it's... John Elway 
finally gets to bed at 2 in the morning on Thursday and is staring at the ceiling going, I can't believe that safety is still available. i got to go get him. You know, I mean, in every, you know, I'm just using him as one example, but as any competitive GM would. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's a really, it, it's a fun, I, originally I thought it was just the NFL being pigs as usual and trying to get more advertising money, but this three-day this three draft is, is kind of a cool thing. Yeah, it really is. I think the format's exceptional. I'm waving the white flag at, by Saturday night, though. I mean, that's exhausting three days, but it's a fun three days. It is, but, I mean, as a kid, like we talked about to open the show, I sat there and watched every pick of a 12-round draft. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, did homework every time a kid guy got drafted. I would run to Mel's book and figure out who he was in round 11. Right. Fun deal. Um, let's finish the show with a couple weeks ago you did a story on best draft fit, team fit. <laughs> I thought that was really, <laughs> excuse me, really interesting. Yep. Do you remember that one? I mean, I think you had McCaffrey going to the Packers as far as best fit. Yeah, and honestly, I'd have to pull the article up. I don't remember it. You know, I just got back from the beach, and I write so many articles that that seems like 100 right. years ago. I think you had, um, if you have it handy, I certainly would love to talk about it. I don't have it handy. Um, I, I I, you mentioned McCaffrey, though, yeah, and McCaffrey I can see him McCaffrey. being a really Why good fit. fit. What's that? I, actually, I think you had McCaffrey to the Colts, actually. I was going to say, I really like the fit with him at the Colts right now. You know, there's getting a yeah. lot of buzz about Philly. Uh, there's a lot of news about him now. He's not even going to work out for teams. But I think he's a really hot prospect, and I would love. I think Andrew Luck would love to see McCaffrey in Indianapolis. And they've done a lot of work on defense and free agency, and they can maybe make that work, huh? Yes, I still think their defense is going to be one of the worst in the league. I mean, I think it's horrible, and and I think they need everything on defense. But it would be a crime if they don't find Gore's replacement early in this draft because I just put way too much stress on Luck. Can can McCaffrey be Gore's replacement? See, I, I'm, not, I'm just not sold on him being a, a bell cow type guy. I get the versatility. I get the, the options you have with him, but can he run the ball 20 times a game? I don't know. Um, the league has obviously changed a lot. In his favor, you know, that that type of back is highly attractive now. You know, I think he's certainly more than a Shane Vereen, you know, that has to be spelled. The people that love him, and I'm pretty close to this camp, think that he's Brian Westbrook or Tiki Barber. You know, I I could kind of see those comparisons. But I also think it would be foolish to take him and not – have a 230-pound guy in the roster as well. You know, that I don't think you can put all your eggs in that basket. And I was actually on the radio in Charlotte yesterday, and they were asking me about, there's a lot of buzz of McCaffrey, you know, Fournette to go to Jacksonville, then this Carolina take McCaffrey, and I think that would be a mistake, you know, because as much as I'd like him, and I'm sure he'd do fine, but... I think they need a Fournette type. I think they need Mixon. I think they need Foreman. They need Gallman. You know, they need a bruiser. I mean, that is a physical downhill rushing attack, and I don't think that's what McCaffrey should be doing. Right. Right. 
But you think with him and Luck, they can do a lot. Of, they can get a lot of done in, in Indy, huh? In the dome, you know, Luck audibleizing at the line of scrimmage, splitting them out wide, moving them all over, getting them on linebackers. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I and I think Wentz could do the same thing in Philly too. Who pick? I think a pick or two before Indy. Right. And, and what last one you had uh, Hooker going to the Chargers. I think Hooker can go all the way up at number two. I think a, a lot of mock drafts are going to be blown up early because there is a cluster of about five guys that can go from two to seven. And I think Hooker's in that. And if, if he went to the Chargers, that'd be a great get at at number seven. I 100% agree, and I almost feel like the Chargers, who are now going to that Seattle defense, in some ways it's hooker or bust. You know what I mean? And there's obviously a good joke in there somewhere. Um, right. You know that they need their Earl Thomas, and he's absolutely that type of player, the Ed Reed, the center fielder. That if he isn't there, then the draft guy kind of falls on his head too. Like, I mean, everyone in the world, every mock I ever see has hooker going to the Chargers which is really convenient if you're doing a mock. But what if the Niners take him at two? You know, I wouldn't kill them for that pick. You know, that would make some sense. Or the Bears take him at three. And all of a sudden, the Chargers are in no man's land. My current mock has, who am I? My current mock has Hooker going to the Niners at two. And I have Chargers taking Adams maybe from LSU at seven. Which would be fine. I love Adams. I, I think Adams... Might be the second. I, I honestly, I think he's the second best player in this draft. And I, I think the the Bears are crazy if they don't take Adams if he's there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we're talking all kinds of draft next week. Two days before the draft, we're going to do our first round mock, kind of five mock round pick. Matt's going to take the odd numbers. I'm going to take the even numbers. It's going to be fun, Matt. Looking forward to it. See you next week. Thanks for listening to No Relation NFL Podcast, everybody.